Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm your host, Evan Gottesman, Associate Director of Policy and Communications at Israel Policy Forum, recording from New York. And I'm Margot Nykirk, Policy and Communications Associate, also recording from New York. And now we are joined on the phone by another great representative of the Jewish people. No, it's not the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. It's... It's Eli Koaz. And I'm sorry to all those people who just got really excited. Eli Koaz, Communications Director calling in from somewhere in the south of Israel. Can you guess? Is it Beersheba? Oh, Margo. Excellent. How did I know? Beersheba, yes. Yes, calling in from Beersheba, and again, sorry to disappoint. I know one president of the United States who might be disappointed, but I hope that everyone else is going to stay tuned in because it's a good episode we have coming up for you and a lot of developments in Israeli politics. And I think we had an election last week. We did. And it really feels like a long time ago because so much has happened. We had all of the party representatives, all the parties meeting with the President Rivlin. And it was yesterday that President Rivlin gave his mandate to a special someone. And that special someone is the current Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. Eli, can you explain what it means for the President of Israel to give the mandate to form a government to a candidate? Of course. So obviously, Kahol Avan won more seats than the Likud. So this could seem confusing at first. But what happens after elections is that each of the parties, they meet with the president and they recommend a candidate. So the two candidates who received recommendations were obviously Benjamin Netanyahu and Benny Gantz. So Gantz received recommendations obviously from Blue and White. He received recommendations from the Democratic Union, from Labor Gesher. And surprisingly, he also received uh, recommendations from the Joint List. Now, that's a surprise because it's the first time that Arab parties have recommended a Jewish Zionist candidate for prime minister since 1992. And 1992 was the first time. And that was Yitzhak Rabin. Exactly. And so Netanyahu, on the other hand, got his recommendations from the Likud, obviously, from the Amina party, the right-wing party led by Yel Chiked, by the two ultra-Orthodox parties, Shas and United Torah Judaism. So in theory, that would amount to 57 seats for Gantz and 55 seats recommending Netanyahu. But the end count was 55 for Netanyahu and 54 for Benny Gantz. So because of that, Netanyahu actually received the mandate from Rivlin to have first shot at forming the government. This doesn't mean he's prime minister for sure, but it means that he'll have 28 days or more or even less, depending on what he decides, to try to form a government. But it's really interesting because it seemed like Benny Gantz could have had first shot if he wanted. As you mentioned, Eli, it doesn't guarantee Netanyahu that he will end up with the premiership in the end just because he was given the first shot at forming a government. Actually, in this case, we have a sort of unique situation. Traditionally, someone who wants to be prime minister would hope that they would get the first chance to form a government. But in this case, both Benny Gantz and Benjamin Netanyahu see it as advantageous for their rival to go first and then they're assuming that their rival will fail to form a government and that will once and for all demonstrate that they have no mandate, they have no legitimacy to form a government, and then they can quickly 
cobble together a coalition and set things straight from their path. And Eli, also you brought up the way the numbers fell and that with the joint list's recommendation, Benny Gantz would have more recommendations total than Netanyahu. But when the dust settled and when everything was finalized, Rivlin gave it to Netanyahu because Netanyahu actually had the most recommendations. And the way that all came out is because this coalition haggling coincided with an internal issue with the joint list. So when we talk about the joint list, it's not one party. It's an alliance of four primarily Arab-Israeli parties led by Ayman Oda of the Hadash party, but Hadash is only one of those four factions. And one of them, one of the four, Balad, which is a radical Arab nationalist party, said that they didn't feel that uh, Ayman Oda was authorized or, or qualified to make the recommendation on their behalf, and they would prefer to recommend no one because they're really in the Knesset as a protest vote. They don't see Israel as a legitimate state. They don't recognize its institutions as legitimate and so on and so forth, and they don't want to recommend any Jewish Zionist prime minister, whether it's the right-wing Netanyahu or the centrist center-right Benny Gantz or even a left-wing Meretz prime minister, if that were to ever happen, they don't want to be the ones making that recommendation. And Balad accounts for three of the joint list's 13 seats in the Knesset. So it sort of happened that the joint list was dealing with this internal issue where Balad was saying, we want you to withdraw our three recommendations of the 13. And Benny Gantz and Kako Levan are strategizing and determining we don't actually want to have the most recommendations. So Kako Levan actually reached out. It was Kako Levan, member of Knesset, Ofer Shelach, reached out to the joint list and said, hey, it wouldn't be the worst thing if Balad withdrew their recommendations. And that left Balad happy. It resolved the internal issue with joint list. And it allowed Kakolavan to pursue this strategy. Now, whether or not it pans out and whether or not they're right that letting Netanyahu go first will definitively prove that he has no mandate remains to be seen. And as you mentioned, it's 28 days plus the possibility of a 14-day extension to form a coalition. So we have a little over a month to see. All of this is really significant because, as Eli mentioned, this is the second time in Israel's history that an Israeli Arab party, we should say an independent Israeli Arab party, has recommended a candidate to be prime minister. Again, in the early Earlier years, there were the satellite Arab parties that were essentially puppets of the old Labour Party and their antecedents, and they would basically be subservient to the Labour Party. But these are independent Arab parties, and again, they've only recommended a Jewish Zionist candidate for prime minister, any candidate for prime minister, in one other time, and that was in 1992 when they recommended Yitzhak Rabin. So that was kind of a big shocker of the campaign. But there was another shocker in the question of who didn't recommend anyone. Right, that's right, Evan. Avigdor Lieberman of the Israel Beitenu party didn't recommend anyone this time around. And that's because he won't sit with the ultra-Orthodox. He wants a military draft for everyone. He wants a se- Well, he wants a secular government in the first place. He wants a military draft in place for the ultra-Orthodox. And also he wants commerce and transportation to be running on Shabbat, which the ultra-Orthodox are all against. And that's kind of the bottom line for him. And he'll he'll sit with anyone who will give him those lists, like will give into those list of demands. But he won't sit with Kaholavan because of the Arabs. With the joint list that now Kaholavan, even though Kaholavan probably won't sit 
with the joint list. They just received their recommendation. Yeah, well, it, it, in fact, the joint list, the joint list made clear when they met with Rivlin that they did not intend to be part of a government. Uh, right, right. Despite right. recommending it. Right. And Benny Gantz has been pretty quiet on their recommendation, but just any kind of association. I mean, people really talked up Lieberman's stance on secularism and religion and state because he made that his issue in this campaign. He made it the issue of the entire campaign. That's why we have this whole other election in the first place. But another thing that Lieberman has built his political ideology and his career around is kind of his hostility toward Israeli Arab politics, Israeli Arab politicians, parties. And so just the mere fact that Kachol Levan received a recommendation from the joint list uh, was enough for Lieberman to at least make an excuse that for now he's not going to recommend anyone. Now, whether or not that's a show or not, I think remains to be seen. That's a fair point. And as a result, he's only called for a national unity government, that he will sit in a government between Likud and Kachol Levan. But... If you look at the numbers, Likun and Kahovalavan don't really need Avigdor Lieberman if they're able to come up with an agreement, some kind of rotational agreement maybe, or that some kind of way that they're going to sit together. Right, but they had unity talks with the, the President Rivlin facilitated between Benny Gantz and Prime Minister Netanyahu, and the sticking point remains that Kaholavan is willing to, Kaholavan wants to sit in a unity government with Likud, but they don't want to sit with Prime Minister Netanyahu when right. he's facing these indictments, so it's just a non-starter for both of those parties, right. and so it's either going to have to be that Netanyahu can force something on Kaholavan that he can bring Israel Beitenu or someone else into the right-wing fold, or that Likud deposes Netanyahu and puts someone in his place, and then that'll be amenable to Kacholavan. But I, I also wonder, through all of this, Bibi's in a desperate situation, right? He's given, been given the task first, as you said, that no one really wanted the task first to form a government. Does he have any tricks up his sleeve to entice Lieberman to sit with him? I don't know. I think Lieberman is aiming for something bigger than all the positions he's already had. He would love to be a prime minister. I can see that come about. But I guess time will tell and Bibi's tricks will tell if he has anything up uh, his sleeve. I, I don't place a whole lot of faith in Lieberman. But what I will say is that it's hard for me to see short of allowing him to be prime minister right away what Netanyahu could offer Lieberman that he hasn't had already because he's held pretty much all of the the high-ranking positions within the government. He's been Minister of Foreign Affairs. He's been Minister of Defense. So the question is, could he really chart a quick path to the premiership? There's also a lot of political risk involved for Lieberman if he were to go back on his whole campaign, his whole initiation of a second election, and to sit in a government with the ultra-Orthodox. He campaigned on not sitting with the ultra-Orthodox. So if he's to go back on that, to me, that could really do a lot of damage to Lieberman's political career because he finished in April with his worst finish, I think, since 2003. And he managed to bring himself up to eight seats, which is, by the way, not quite as well as he was hoping to do. And then to go back on his gamble of a second election by sitting with the people that he campaigned on not sitting with. It seems hard for me to envision, but I don't want to, you know, never say never. Right. That's, that's fair. Yeah. And I think all those voters that he brought over between these two elections would surely desert him if he were to go back on uh, all that he promised. But I just wanted to add, we spoke about blue and white, it being a non-starter for them to enter a government with Netanyahu. So I don't think that's as big of a non-starter as they said during the campaign. I think they'd be open to it. But I think that the problem here in these short unity talks that took place before Netanyahu was given the mandate was that 
the day after the election, Netanyahu summoned all his the four parties that are part of his right-wing bloc, and they all signed a document saying that Netanyahu would negotiate on behalf of this right-wing bloc of 55 seats. 55 seats with the Likud, Yamina, United Torah Judaism, and Shas. And so what reports are saying, in all these negotiations that have taken place between Kaholaban and between Likud, Netanyahu hasn't been just negotiating for, from the Likud. He's been negotiating for the 55. And so that's obviously a non-starter for Kaholaban to have these 55 be part of a government no matter what. It wouldn't be a unity government. It would be Kaholaban just joining a right-wing Right, Kacholavan would be a minority in a right-wing government. Exactly, exactly. Eli, I'm curious, because you mentioned that you don't think sitting with Netanyahu is as big a non-starter for Kacholavan as it may seem. Could you elaborate on that? Sure. So I think that there are certain conditions where Kacholavan would accept a rotation agreement with Netanyahu. It would either be if Netanyahu agrees to go second, which I think is highly unlikely, because Netanyahu going second in a rotation agreement would likely be just looking at what the legal forecast is for him. He would be in a situation where I don't think he could even legally serve in prime minister, as prime minister should that time come. The other option here, and this is something that the Likud were floating around, was that Netanyahu start as prime minister for a term that isn't really half of this traditionally, it's like either two or two and a half years, but it would be a year or even less. And should there be an indictment against him, Netanyahu be forced to resign? I could see in a certain situation, something like that being accepted. I don't know how likely it is, but I think it's something that Kaholaban would would entertain. Um, and that obviously being, being that not, not being a coalition of the 55 plus Kaholaban, that would be probably something like with Lieberman even involved between the two big parties with that. I think that those are proposals that sound on paper to be feasible, but I think that anyone who enters into that kind of an arrangement with Netanyahu is taking a big risk because he's really playing for time, I think, at this point. And if they put up some sort of deal that he can be prime minister for an additional six months, well, when six months is up, he's going to alter the deal and his rivals are going to have to pray he doesn't alter it any further. Giving him more time is a big gamble for his rivals and other parties and any aspiring new Likud leaders who would want to take the reins of the party from Netanyahu when his time is up. And he is really on a ticking clock because I believe his hearing is next week, October 2nd. Exactly. And so speaking about that ticking clock, that explains why uh, Gantz wanted Netanyahu to go first. Netanyahu, the longer this rolls on, the harder it will be for Netanyahu. What he probably wants is to get to third elections as quickly as possible. That's probably what, what he wants. And so him having to try to form a government now with a very small chance, then pass that back to Gantz, then there can either be another Knesset member who's able to garner 61 signatures can pretty much make the case that they're going to be prime minister. That's going to take us definitely after October 2nd. And maybe by the time we're at third elections, if we are, God forbid, there will already be an indictment or two laid on Prime Minister Netanyahu. And that's obviously not where he wants to find himself. So he's trying to 
rush this process. And what Gantz has done here has made that uh, a bit more difficult. I'm just going to pretend that you didn't say the words third elections, because if we stick our heads in the sand and pretend it's not real, then we can all live with the blissful ignorance that third elections in Israel in the span of one year is not a possibility. But there's certainly going to be a lot of drama coming up with Netanyahu's legal proceedings. I think we just saw today a report that Israel's attorney general had to decline a request from Netanyahu to have the hearing televised, which would have been good viewing, but probably not good for the rule of law and, you know, would have been an opportunity for Netanyahu to grandstand in front of a live studio audience. So there's going to be a lot more of tricks that he's going to try and a lot more things that we're going to see. But I think that does it for this episode of Israel Policy Pod. But we do have a couple of important announcements and some great opportunities for you to engage with our work in the coming weeks. Yeah, we have two great programs coming up on the West Coast for IPF Atid, our Young Professionals Program. The first event will be October 16th in Los Angeles, and it is the WPS, the Women, Peace, and Security Initiative launch. And then on October 17th, we have the launch of the IPF Atid Young Professionals chapter in San Francisco, and I will be speaking at that event. So it would be great to see some of our listeners there. We are not just voices on your computer or on your telephone, but we're real people. And it would be great to meet some of you and see you at our programs. And you can learn more about those events on our website at the events tab at www.israelpolicyforum.org forward slash events. And I want to thank you all for tuning in, as well as to anyone who joined us across the country at those six post-elections programs that we ran over the past two weeks. You all helped make those great, and we hope to see you at one of our next programs. So thanks for joining us. See you next week. See you next week.